Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Seems like we've moved on to Christmas very quickly. That's right, it looks nice. Someone was telling me today that they started Thanksgiving on Wednesday and just finally finished Thanksgiving yesterday and ate so much. And that's kind of that's how it is. Um, just a reminder, we're not having service tonight, so it'll give you a chance to be with family if they're still in town or to recover from the holiday if they're not. Um, if you would open with me to Mark chapter 14, we're going to finish the chapter today. We're getting close to the end of Mark. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 937. We'll be looking at the final seven verses of Mark chapter 14. The first time I ever uh, left the country was in 2007, and I went on a mission trip to uh, Burma or Myanmar in Southeast Asia. I went with uh, about, there were about 12 of us that went, 12 guys. Uh, there were three of us from here. Um, the other two guys were, uh, were seminary students, boy students who are no longer um, in our church, but the three of us went and then some others from other churches. And we were in, uh, in Burma for about two weeks, and our, our goal was, the goal of this mission trip was we were hiking through the mountains and jungles of, of Burma, and we were looking for a specific people group, the Shan people. And they lived, uh, I forget, if they li- I think they lived at the top of the mountains, and there was another group that lived in the, in the valleys, or it might have been the other way around, but either way, we were up and down mountains for, for two weeks. It was really, really hard. And we had, uh, we had some GPS equipment with us, and so whenever we would find one of these uh, villages, we had a couple of people that could translate for us, but, but not a lot. Um, and whenever we found one of the villages, we would try to talk to them as much as we could, find out some information about them, um, talk to them about Jesus if, if there was a door that opened up there. Um, but the main thing that we were doing is using our GPS equipment to, uh, to create a map. And so we would have a waypoint wherever that village was, and then we'd go to the next village and create a waypoint there. And when we got back to the U.S., we took all those points and, and mapped out where these people were, and we sent that back to the missionaries that lived in the country, and their plan was to... Uh, once they found out where all the villages were, uh, to develop a, a strategy and a plan to go into those villages with the gospel. And so some of these village people had, had never seen white people before. Uh, some of these villages had never had, had anyone from, from outside of their own tribe there in, in the village before. And, and others uh, lived closer to the city and, and, and had more interactions like that. But one of the days that, that I remember so clearly, we were hiking. Um, we, had, we had a couple of different guides and uh, one of our guides had left the, the city, so, so we flew into the capital, then from the capital we flew to a smaller city, from that city we drove to a smaller city, and then we, from that city we walked in a, in a circle and then did the trip back. And so we had two guides, and one of the guides had left the town and kind of gone around this way and back, and the other, the other uh, guide had left the town and gone around this way and back, but neither one of them had made the full circle, and they were just hoping and thinking that somehow it had to meet in the middle. At kind of at the top of that circle. And so we got toward that, that area um, one day, and we ended up lost. And there were 12 of us. We were in the, in the jungle at this point, and, uh, and, and we were lost. We didn't know where we were. Our guides didn't know where we were. Um, we were running out of water. It was getting dark. It was getting hot. Um, in fact, one of the guys in our group uh, had a heat stroke and, and passed out there in the, in, in the jungle. It was funny because once we got to the next village, uh, and they found out, they, they saw what shape we were in. They jumped on their motorcycles and, 
and run into the town. We thought they were going to bring back, you know, bottles of water or whatever to refresh us, and they came back with small cans of Red Bull for us, for us to, to drink. That, that, was their, that was their refreshment for us to, to kind of recover. But while we're in the jungle looking, trying to figure out where we are and, and, and trying to preserve what little bit of water we have left in our, in our bottles and, and, uh, and trying to carry our packs and this, this one guy with the heat stroke and all this kind of stuff, as we're there, we hear people talking around us. And, and we didn't know what it was. And, and uh, at, at the time, our guides didn't tell us what it was. But later that night, the guides told us that it was, uh, it was the military. The army was, was there in the jungle with us, and they were watching us. And they were, we could hear them talking. We could hear them laughing at, at us. Um, and it turns out we'd gotten into a spot that we weren't supposed to be in. The country has restricted areas that tourists aren't supposed to go to uh, for different reasons. Um, and, and, and we had ended up in one of those zones we weren't supposed to be in. And the army was there keeping a close, a close watch on us. Well, we went on about our, about our trip, and a couple days later, we got toward the end of the trip, and we were getting ready to make our way back to America. And so to do that, we had to drive about three or four hours to a, uh, to a city called Mandalay, and then we had to fly from Mandalay back to the capital of, uh, of Rangon. We spent the night in Rangon, and then we got our flight the next morning out of the country back to the, back to the U.S. Well, when we got to Mandalay, we got on the plane, and there was this American lady on the plane. And we didn't know who she was. We'd never seen her before. Um, it, it's kind of odd to, to be in a, in a country in Southeast Asia that only get on an airplane and there just randomly be a, another American lady on the, on the plane. And so one of the guys in our group began talking to her, uh, and she wouldn't tell him who she was. And all she would say was that she was a friend of ours, um, that she worked for the company, and that she was there on the plane to make sure that we got back to the, to the hotel safely. That, that's all she would say. Um, and so we, we landed in the capital city, and we got out of the plane, and the, there's a missionary that lives in the, in the country. He was supposed to come pick us up from the airport that, that afternoon, and, and he wasn't there. And the lady that was on the plane with us said, y'all don't need to wait on the missionary. Y'all need to get taxis and, and, and go to the hotel and get out, of the, get out of the airport. And so we did that. We went to the hotel, and as, as we were leaving the airport, we watched her turn and, and go back into the airport, and, and she got on the plane and went back to wherever she had, had come from. And so we spent the night in the hotel that night. The next morning we got up and we came to, uh, to the airport to catch our flight out of the country. And we got to the ticket counter and the lady was there at the ticket counter and she had a piece of paper that had all of our names listed on it. We hadn't given her our passports yet. We hadn't, hadn't given her any ID yet. We didn't, haven't told her who we were. We didn't have tickets yet, any of that stuff. She had a list of our names on this piece of paper. And as we walked up to the counter, she began marking our names off. Um, and so apparently she, had, she, she was expecting us that day and, and, and that kind of thing. Now, I don't, I don't know how much danger we were really in. Um, I like to think we were in lots of danger, and it was a big adventure. And, you know, I like to think the airplane's taking off, and as it's taking off, the military jeeps are on the runway, trailing right behind it, and it, we take off right in time, you know. Um, I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, I like to think that maybe if I were to ever try to go back to that country, they would have my name flagged somehow, and they, and they know who I am, and I can't get back in, and, and, and that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know if that's true. But I do think, think back on that situation, and I wonder, I've often thought about that in the last 10 years, and I've wondered, what, what would I have done? What would have happened if when we're in the, in the, in the jungle, they're out of water, and the, and the military's around us, talking and laughing at us, what would have happened if they had, had come out of their hiding spot and, and, and arrested us? They could have. We were in this spot we weren't supposed to be in. We were, we were doing things that we weren't supposed to be doing. It's illegal to be missionaries in this country. And, and so what would have happened? I, I wonder sometimes how I would have responded to, to that. I don't know if you've ever thought of that or not. There's stories in the Bible like this. Remember the story of, 
uh, of Nebuchadnezzar making the, the statue of himself and, and, and commanding the people to bow down to the statue and worship and, and telling them if they, don't, uh, if they don't bow down, then they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, right? We know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and how they resisted and they didn't worship and they were thrown into the, to the furnace. And, uh, and, and I wonder sometimes if I was in a situation like that, how I would respond to, to that. And I, and, and I don't know. I think about, I don't know her name, but I think about the, the young teenage girl in Colorado. Um, there's a book about it called She Said Yes, and she was in the school in Colorado when the, when the, the gunmen came through and, and were shooting the, the students in the school at Columbine, and they were asking individual students, are you a Christian? And she said yes, and they shot her. If she had said no, they wouldn't have shot her. I, I wonder if I was in a situation like that, what, what would I say? Would I say yes? Uh, would I say? Would I say no? I, and honestly, I don't know. Our, our passage this morning is a, is a passage similar to to that. It's the story of Peter, who is uh, in the in the garden as Jesus is being um, is being questioned upstairs, and, uh, and and some people recognize him and, and accuse him of being with Jesus. And we're going to see his response, and and, and then we're going to talk about it. So let's read. Uh, let's read Mark fourteen. Chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much this morning that you are our God, that you are our Savior. God, we thank you even as we're getting toward the end of the Gospel of Mark and we're seeing Jesus on his way to the cross and being questioned last week by the, by the chief priests and the Pharisees and Sadducees. God, we thank you that, that you saved us. We thank you that you sent Jesus and we thank you that he fulfilled the mission and saved us. God, I pray this morning as we're looking at this passage, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be here working in us and, and among us, Father, working in our, in our hearts. I pray that, 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 that he will be opening our, our minds to understand your word. Father, I pray that we would see things in your word this morning that maybe we haven't seen before, maybe a passage that, that, that we've read before, but maybe, maybe you would show us things that we haven't noticed before. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to, to love your word. God, I pray that we would not just learn some things from your word and, and kind of know what it says, but, but God, I pray that your spirit would help us to apply your word to ourselves. God, I pray that you would uh, reveal to us uh, sinfulness in our own hearts. Father, I pray you would reveal to us um, cowardice, maybe, if, if, if that's there. And yet, God, I also pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would lead us to Christ, lead us to Jesus through this passage. 
by the power of your spirit. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our King, our Savior. And it's in his name we pray, amen. I'm going to do something this morning that I've never really done before um, in, in preaching. Other preachers have, but I never have. But I think this passage kind of lends itself to it. I want us just to look at the passage, kind of walk through verse by verse from 66 all the way down to 72. And I don't really have any points this morning. I just want us to walk through the passage um, and, and make some observations as we go. Okay? And then once we get through the end of the passage, we'll come back and I, and I have three or four points of, of application um, to, to how, how, we can, uh, how we can learn from this passage, how we can apply it to ourselves. But as we get started, let's just, just kind of walk through the passage. And, and beginning in, in verse 66, we see that Peter is here. Uh, it, it says that he's in the courtyard. If we continue reading, it says he's in the courtyard, and, and he's there warming himself by the fire. Now, you may remember if you've been here the last few weeks, you may remember uh, or notice that this picks up from earlier in the chapter. In fact, back in verse uh, 53, uh, this is what's happening. Look back at that verse, if you, if you would, 53. It says, They led Jesus to the high priest and to all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And then verse 54 says, Peter had followed him at, the, at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. <coughs> so last week, Josh uh, Green preached about what was happening upstairs with, the, with Jesus and the priests and the scribes and all the ones that had gathered together, they're questioning him. Um, at the end of the passage, they begin to spit on him and to, uh, to mock him and to slap him and, and, and those kind of things. Well, at the same time that that's happening upstairs with Jesus, what we're reading this week is happening downstairs uh, with Peter. And so these things are happening at the same time. So he, so he began this passage in verse 53, 54. Peter follows. Jesus is arrested in the garden. They take him to trial Peter follows along with them, and then it's like he gets so far, but he can't go any further. He can't go into the room where Jesus is, and so he waits around outside. He's in this courtyard area outside. There's a fire there, and he's there, uh, he's there warming himself by the fire. Okay? I've heard some people before uh, talk about this like it's a bad thing, like Jesus is upstairs kind of going through this trial, and, and Peter's just down there by the fire getting really warm and having a good time and that, that kind of thing. But I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing on Peter's part. I think it's just Peter going as far as he could and then he couldn't get any further. He couldn't get any closer to where the action was happening, to where Jesus was, was being questioned. And so he just stayed there in the courtyard waiting for some news of what was happening inside, waiting to find out what, um, what, was, what was going on upstairs. One commentator, James Edwards, he says, but while Jesus was facing a formal trial upstairs, a trial of different sorts was going to be taking place downstairs with, with Peter. And, and we see that. It says that one of the servant girls of the high priest came, um, and she saw Peter. She saw him there warming himself in the courtyard. She looked at him again, and she said, you also were with this Nazarene Jesus. She saw him. She looked at him. She did kind of a double take maybe. Uh, we don't know how she recognized him or where she recognized him from. Um, she might have been there maybe when Jesus came in and saw Peter trailing behind them. Uh, maybe she had seen Jesus teach in the uh, in, in the city before, and maybe she had seen, uh, seen Peter back with him back then. Uh, we, we don't know, but somehow she recognized Peter, and, and she said, this is, this, this is him. He was, with, he was with Jesus. Now, we also don't really know if it was a bad thing or not. We don't know if she was, uh, if she was accusing him of, of being part of some uh, conspiracy, like a co-conspirator or, or something like that, or if she was just making a comment that, that, that Peter was was with him, we don't know. We do know that she calls Jesus the Nazarene, which, which may be kind of a derogatory term. She lives in Judea, 
uh, which is uh, another, another state, we might say, a, a province. Galilee is a, is a different one, and some of the Jews from Judea look down on the Jews from Galilee, which is where Nazareth was, and so her referring to Jesus as not by his name or by the teacher or something like that, but just referring to him as the Nazarene might be a, might be a derogative thing, might be a, might be a bad thing. Um, but, but she did. She, she calls Peter out, and she says, you were with him. I saw you. You're, you're one of those ones that, that was with him. Either way, Peter denies it. He says it, it, it wasn't him. He probably understood it as an accusation. He probably understood it as a, as a negative thing. And he says, no, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't with him. And, and notice how he denies it. It's kind of weird the, the way he says it. He says, I neither, um, he says, I neither know nor understand what you mean. In, in the way we talk today, kind of a modern idiom, it might be something like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I wasn't, I wasn't with him. Right? It's a, it's a flat-out denial. I don't even know this man. I was not with him. I don't know what you're what you're talking about. And then after he denied him, he walks out into the, to the gateway, we're told. We don't know exactly why. It could be that, that, that maybe he saw that he's there by the fire and people are beginning to recognize him, and so he goes away from the fire where it's, where it's a little bit darker maybe so that he won't be as vulnerable to being, uh, to being recognized. Um, another commentator, Mark Strauss, he, he, he suggests that, that maybe he moves toward the gate so that he would be near an, uh, an exit if that becomes necessary if he has to make kind of a quick getaway to, 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 to escape some type of trouble, he's there by the gateway where he, can, where he can do that quickly. So he goes to the gate. The, the servant girl's not letting it go, though. Uh, she comes up to him again. She sees him again, and, and she begins to talk to the crowd around her now, the bystanders around him. And she's saying, surely this, this man really was one of them. I, I know what I'm talking about. I saw him with, with, with Jesus. He is one of them. She's not going to let Peter get away with, with denying it if she can help it. And there's a good chance that these bystanders, this crowd of men, there's a good chance that it included the guards who had just arrested Jesus and just brought Jesus to the, to the question to begin with. And, and so again, Peter denies it. We might say he continued uh, denying it. We might say he, was, he, he kept on denying it. Often when people are, are caught in a lie, they, they kind of double down, so to speak, Right? And, and they know they're caught, but they can't get out of it, and so they, they, they you know, st- stick in even, even harder. This, the, this, he continued denying it, or he kept on denying it. It's kind of even a little bit more emphatic than, than, uh, than before. It may be something like, I've already told you, I don't know him. Well, after a little while of that, the, the bystanders again, they say to Peter now, apart from the, from the servant talking to them, now the bystanders say to Peter, no, surely you really are one of them. We know that you're one of them. You, you must be one of them because you also are from Galilee. And we don't know from Mark. Mark doesn't tell us how, how they know that he's from Galilee. If we were to read uh, Matthew's gospel, he tells us that they know that Peter's from Galilee because of his accent. He speaks like a Galilean. He speaks like someone from Nazareth. And so the people say, no, it, you really are from, you must be one of his disciples. You must be with him because you talk like he does. You must be with him because you look like he does, right? We were in Mexico a few weeks ago, two weeks ago now, and uh, the leader from our group was, was uh, telling me he went to one of the little stores. There's a little store just right down from the church where we were the whole time, and as different people were teaching and I had some free time, I would go to the store and, and, and get a drink and try to talk to the lady that, that ran the store. And uh, 
the leader of the group from Texas, he went to the store one afternoon and he came back laughing and he said, the lady from the store, her, his Spanish was really good. Um, and so he can have, he can have, you know, real, real good detailed conversations. And, and he, he was laughing. He said, the lady from the store said, you must be with the, you must be with the, uh, you must be from the same group as the big guy with the beard, right? Because I'd gone to the store two or three times uh, that, that week already. And, and, and she recognized he looked like me. He, he spoke like me. And, and so she put together, we must be from the same group. We must be both from the, from the U.S. together. This was a small town uh, in, in Mexico where they don't get a lot of, of visitors from other places. And, and so she put together, we must be from the same place. Well, the same thing happens here with Peter, right? You talk like Jesus. You look like a Galilean. You talk like a Galilean. You sound like a Galilean. You must be, you must be one, of, one of them. But again, he began to deny it. And this time, it's the strongest of, of the three. He says that, uh, it says he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. When we think of, of someone cursing or, or swearing, we think of, of profanity, but that's not what's happening here. It's not, it's not Peter using profanity. It's him calling a curse down on himself or, or maybe calling a curse down on the, on the crowd around him. But he's, he's saying something like, May God strike me dead, I do not know this man. If I'm, if I'm not telling the truth, then may this bad thing, may this curse happen to me. Or, or maybe, he's, maybe he's cursing the, the crowd. But either way, he's calling this curse down. It's emphatic. He's saying, I don't know this man. Would you stop uh, suggesting this? Would you leave me alone uh, about this? He doesn't have any knowledge of Jesus at all. And then verse 72 as soon as he said this, immediately after he said this, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. One commentator, uh, his last name is Garland, he says, he says it's ironic that the rooster, which is known for its foolish pride and, and its cocky strutting around, reminds Peter of his own foolish boast in Mark 14, 29. If you look back to that, you can see Jesus having a discussion with his disciples, and, and, and he tells them in verse 26, it says, when they had sung a hymn after the Lord's Supper, they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, even though the other disciples fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter had good intentions, right? Peter wanted to be the, the, the faithful disciple. He wanted to be the true disciple. He said, even if all these others were to, to fall away, I won't fall away. And we even see him beginning to fulfill this a little bit in this passage, right? We, we don't know where John is. We don't know where... Uh, where Philip is. We don't know where the other uh, disciples are, but we know Peter is here with Jesus in the, in the courtyard. He couldn't get into the same room as Jesus, but it's at le he's at least there with him, right? He hasn't fallen away in that sense, and, and, and yet the rooster crowed, reminding him of Jesus' words that even this very night, you're going to deny me three times. This episode ends with Peter filled with remorse. He breaks down, he's weeping, 
And I don't think he's just weeping over the fact that, that, that he's denied Jesus, although that's, that's obviously really bad. I think he's weeping because he sees how sinful he is. He sees, he, he, he sees the fullness of his, own, of his own sinfulness, his own weakness that, that Jesus had, had, had warned him about. This is a pretty straightforward passage, but I think it's a very, very rich passage. Um, not only does it provide us a warning, uh, not only does it provide us an, a, an example not to follow, um, but I think it also offers us several points of encouragement uh, as well. And so I, I want to, the rest of the time we have today, I want to suggest um, maybe five things that, that, that we can see from this passage, five things that, that, that we can get from this passage. And the first thing that we see from this passage is um, this passage helps us to see and, and helps us to, uh, to have a commitment to the truthfulness of Scripture, the truthfulness of Scripture and, and even specifically here in this passage, the fulfillment of, of prophecy, right? Um, you may know, if you know much about uh, the history of the Bible, you may know that Mark, who wrote this gospel, was not one of Jesus' disciples. He wasn't a, a follower of, of Jesus. In fact, Mark was a, a traveling partner of Peter's. He traveled with Peter from, from different places. If you, if you read the early chapters of, of Acts, um, you can see this. Mark is there with Peter. And when Mark began to write his gospel, um, he got the information that's in his gospel from Peter. His gospel is, is a writing of, of Peter's preaching about, about Jesus. And his gospel is a writing of the stories that Peter told him in private about what it was like to be one of Jesus' um, disciples. And it's interesting to note that, that Mark would have learned this story about Peter denying Jesus. He would have learned this story directly from Peter himself. Right? If, if I had a friend and, and, and he was following me around and he was going to write a book about something that, that I'd taken part in in, in my life um, and something like this happened that put me in a really negative light, I might leave those six or seven verses out. Right? I might not tell him about the time that I denied, denied Jesus three times. Right? And, and yet Peter does. And Mark records it and, and writes it down. And, and in fact, the, the, the story of Peter here denying Jesus is in some of the other Gospels. But in some ways, the, the account here in, in Mark is, is the best account, the most detailed account we have of, of Peter denying Jesus. And, and, and Peter put that in. And, and, and so one thing that we, can, that we can see from this is it gives us a, an assurance of the truthfulness of, of the Bible. Mark, uh, or, or Peter, I mean, is more concerned about telling the truth about who Jesus is. He's more concerned about telling Mark the truth of, uh, of what Jesus is able to do than he is about putting himself in a good light. He's more concerned about the truth than he is about his own reputation, even. Right? And we see examples of this type of thing throughout the Bible, but, but here's just, it's just one of them. We also see here in this passage the, uh, the fulfillment of, uh, of prophecy. What's happening in this passage is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Jesus says, this very night, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Well, reading this passage uh, just a, a few uh, passages later, that's exactly what happens. And so we see Jesus' ability to, uh, to speak prophecy, and we see God's ability to fulfill prophecy as, as well. And if you picked up on it, even the passage where, where Jesus is telling Peter, all of you are going to fall away, and Peter says, no, not me. Maybe all of them will fall away, but I'm not going to fall away. I'll, I'll, I'll stick close to you, right? Even that passage that Jesus is telling them about, he quotes the Old Testament to prove that that's going to happen. And, and in fact, that does happen. And so we see from, from this passage, we, we, we get a little bit of assurance that the Bible itself is true, 
we get a little bit of assurance that God is, is able to prophesy and to bring prophecies to, to fulfillment. Another thing we see from this passage is, is God's uh, providence or God's power or God's uh, sovereignty over suffering. God's sovereignty over, over surf, uh, suffering. Early on in, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus, as we just read, predicted that Peter would deny him just as it ended up happening. This shows us that not only did Jesus know it was going to happen, uh, but, but, but the events of chapter 14, uh, as well as what's going to happen in chapters 15 and 16 as we see Jesus going to the cross, th- those things are not accidents. Those things are, are, are things that God knows is going to happen beforehand, but it's not just that he knows them, it's that they're not, they're not accidents. They're, they're things that, that God is using to accomplish his, 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 his purposes. These things were happening just as God planned for them to happen in order to accomplish our salvation, right? Peter denied Jesus just like the Bible said he would deny Jesus. Peter denied Jesus just like the scriptures, just like God had said beforehand that he would deny Jesus. And when Mark was writing this gospel, his, his, his original hearers, the first century uh, Christians in, in Rome that were, that were facing persecution, they would have been encouraged by that. They would have been encouraged that, that their own sufferings just like Peter's, were known by God. They would have been encouraged that their own sufferings were not in vain. They would have been encouraged to know that God is behind what's happening to them. And the same thing's true for us uh, today, right? Life's really hard. Life's really hard. Life's harder, harder for some people than it is for other people. Um, life's harder at different times than it is maybe at some other times. But life is, is really hard for, for all of us. It makes it a little bit easier when we can step back and remember that, uh, that, that whatever suffering, whatever difficulty that, that we're facing right now, that Jesus knows about it. And Jesus knew about it before it, it was going to happen. It's not a surprise to him. And, and we can take comfort in the fact that, that, that it's being used to make us more like him. Whatever difficulty, whatever suffering, whatever uh, whatever hardships we're facing right now, God's using that to make us look like Jesus, to make us act like Jesus, to make us think like Jesus, to make us talk like Jesus. God's using these things in our lives to make us into the people that, that he would have us to be. And, and listen, that, th- this is true. It doesn't matter. This is true whether the suffering that we're, that, that we're facing right now, like Peter, was because of our own sin, right? Even if it's because of our own sin, God's still using that to make us into the image of his son. It's true whether the suffering is due to another person's decisions or, or sins. It's true whether, whether the suffering is, 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 seems to be because of some, uh, some random act that, that doesn't have any purpose at all. We can rest assured that our God is behind whatever happens to us, and he's using it for our good. God knows about it. He's using it to make you more like Jesus, to accomplish your salvation. In this passage, we see the truthfulness of Scripture. We see... God's ability to prophesy and to fulfill prophecy. We see God's sovereignty over, over suffering, how he's using these bad things to bring about our salvation, right? And, and, and listen, this includes what's about to happen in chapter 15, right? We're very close to Jesus going to the cross. Well, God knew about that before it happened. God prepared that to happen. God planned that to happen. And God's using that suffering to bring about our salvation. A third thing we see from this passage is it's kind of obvious. We see from Peter the, the weakness of humanity 
our own weaknesses, and we see the strength of temptation. We see the weakness of humanity, and we see the strength of, of temptation. Again, commentator James Edwards, he says that Peter's denials are a warning to all followers of Jesus then and now. Now listen to this. He says, not even the lead apostle, Peter, is immune to temptation. We definitely should not think that we are. No temptation, listen, no temptation is so small that it should be avoided or ignored. Avoided in the sense of acting like it doesn't matter, right? No temptation is so small that it should be ignored. Even small temptation can lead to a great fall. On the other hand, though, no temptation is so large that it should be overlooked as well. One of the reasons that that Peter fell the way he did is because denying Jesus seemed like, like such a huge thing that of course he would never do that, right? Jesus says, y'all are all going to fall away. And Peter says, not me, I'm not going to fall away. Of course not. I might lie, I might, I might commit some other sins, I might be tempted to do some other things, but, but God, there's nothing that could make me fall away. And, and yet we see that's exactly what did happen. Because he let his guard down, this temptation got the better of him. We should pray each day that, that God would keep us from temptation. Right? Jesus taught his disciples to pray that way. Uh, lead me not into temptation. But, but we should also be on the lookout for specific causes of temptation throughout the day. And we should be praying for those specific temptations, to, uh, for, for God's power to, uh, to, to help us resist those temptations. We can't resist them on our, on our own strength. Our default strategy should be begin to pray that God would give us a grace to resist that specific temptation, right? There's a big contrast in this passage. I'm not sure if you picked up on it or not, but there's a big contrast in this passage between, there's actually two, but one of them is between Peter and Jesus. While Peter is in the courtyard uh, cowering under the pressure of this small servant girl and denying Jesus' name time and time again, Jesus is upstairs standing up to the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of the Sanhedrin. Jesus is upstairs under this great pressure and he's standing up against it. Peter is downstairs under this small pressure and he's falling under it. How is it that Jesus is able to succeed while Peter utterly fails? Well, certainly not the only reason, but think about what they were doing just a couple nights before this. Right? Jesus is in the garden praying. He spent the night before praying in the garden the whole night. And Peter spent the night sleeping in the garden the whole night. Right? When temptation comes, we should, our default should be to, to go to God in prayer, not, not, not resting on our own strength, but resting on God's strength in us. Peter serves as an example to us that reminds us of how weak we are, of how liable we are to temptation. We should learn from his example. And we should seek to resist temptation using whatever means necessary. One former pastor that, that, that you may know of from the, from the 1600s, he famously said, either sin will be killing you or you will be killing sin. Right? I got that backwards. Either you will be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If we're not fighting against sin, if we're not fighting against temptation, if we're not fighting against falling, then those things will be destroying us, will be killing us. I had a professor in college that used to say, pay me now or pay me later, right? 
pay me now or pay me later. And what he meant was either you can spend the time now studying and preparing and, and learning, or you can wait till the day of the exam and not know what you're supposed to know, and you can pay me later by getting a bad grade, right? Either put in the work now or pay the price later. And, and the same thing could, could be true, could, could be said about the way that we deal with temptation, the way that we, we deal with sin. Either we're praying about it and we're, and we're, uh, and we're working against temptation now, or when, when the day of temptation comes, we fall to it. So we see in Peter the weakness of humanity. We see in Peter the strength of temptation. The last thing we see in Peter, though, is the overcoming grace of God. The last thing we see in this story is the overcoming grace of God. There's a contrast here between Peter and Jesus, right? Jesus is upstairs doing what Peter is downstairs not doing. Jesus is upstairs resisting uh, temptation to, uh, to cower before the, the authorities and, and kind of go along to get along with them, right? And Peter's downstairs uh, falling in, in that challenge. And yet there's another contrast in this passage, and the second contrast is between Peter and Judas, between Peter and, and Judas. Not only is, is Peter meant to be contrasted with Jesus, but he's also meant to be contrasted with, with Judas, I think. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times just after Judas betrayed Jesus in the garden. You might even say in, in some ways that, that Peter's denials were worse than, than Judas's betrayal, right? At least Peter, or I'm sorry, at least Judas betrayed Jesus to his face, Right? He went up to him and, and, and kissed him and turned him over in, in, in front of everyone. Peter is downstairs while Jesus is upstairs being mocked and slapped and spit on and things like that. But there's a big difference between Judas and Peter and what happened to them. And, and the biggest difference is what happened after their failures. After uh, Judas betrays Jesus, Mark doesn't really tell us any more about him. We don't learn more about Judas in the in the Gospel of Mark, but Matthew tells us that when Jesus is condemned, Judas has a change of heart, just like Peter, right? Peter hears the, the, the rooster crow the third time, and it says he wept bitterly. He, he began to see himself. Well, Matthew says that, that Judas had the same feeling. Whenever, whenever Jesus was condemned, he says that Judas had a, had a change of heart. He went back to the priests. Remember, they had given him 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. He goes back to them and tries to give the money back and says, I don't want this anymore. And, and the priests don't accept it. And they say, what you've done, you've done. You can't go back now. This is, this is yours, right? But, but he tries to. He tries to go back and, and he tries to undo the sin that, that he's committed, but they don't take it. And so Matthew says that Judas leaves the money there with the priests and then he goes and hangs himself. Judas has great sorrow for what he had done. He, we don't know. He might have even broken down and wept the way that Mark says Peter did, right? But we're never told that Judas repented. We're never told that Judas turned to God. We're told that he was overcome with grief and he ended up hanging himself. Peter did repent. Peter did repent. If we keep reading, we're told in the, in the other Gospels that after Jesus' resurrection, he met Peter, and he restored Peter. We're told that Peter did repent and that, and that the Lord restored him. We're, we're told that, that he served out the rest of his life as a, uh, as a follower of Jesus, a devoted servant of the Lord. 
One commentator says, not even the best of believers are immune to temptation, not even the lead apostle himself, but not even the worst offender is beyond the reach of God's grace. Not even the greatest disciple is beyond the reach of temptation, but not even the worst offender is beyond the reach of God's grace. We see this in the life of Peter. Peter denies Jesus over and over and over. I don't know him. Stop asking me. I've never met him. I don't even know what you're talking about. And yet God's grace extends to him. He repents. He turns back to the Lord, and the Lord restores him. Let us learn from from Peter's example. Let us resist temptation, but let us also follow Peter's example and quickly turn and repent when we do fall into sin. I've often wondered how uh, how I would respond if I was put into a situation like I mentioned at the beginning of us today. I always wondered how I would respond if someone had a gun to my head and said, are you a believer? Yes or no? I've always thought and, and wondered what would have happened in, in, in Burma if the, if the army had made itself known and had arrested us and imprisoned us or beaten us or tortured us or killed us or, or something like that. I've often wondered if I would have stayed faithful and professed Jesus or, or, or not. But what I've realized this week, especially thinking through this passage of, of Peter denying Jesus, what I've realized this week is that so often I fail resisting temptations that are much smaller than that, right? What would I do if someone had a gun to my head? I don't know, but what would I do every time I'm faced with temptation? And so often the answer is I turn away and I deny the Lord. Every time I choose sin, every time you choose sin, you're denying Jesus' lordship. Every time you choose sin, you're saying you're in charge, not him. Every time you choose sin, you're, choo- you're denying God's goodness. You're saying that this sin, this specific sin is better than Jesus. This specific sin is better than what God has to offer to me. Every time I choose sin, I'm denying Jesus' authority. I'm saying that what he says is not true. I'm saying that I know better than him. Every time that I sin, I'm denying his righteousness, right? I'm saying, in effect, I'm saying that his judgment is not to be feared. In effect, I'm saying that this sin is better than Jesus. In effect, I'm saying that I'm the one that's in charge and I'm the one that can decide what's best for me, not him. We're about to sing the uh, last song in, in today's service, and as we get ready to do that, I want to encourage you to think about a couple of things. First of all, some of you here, many of you are here, most of us here are believers in Jesus. Most of us here are people that are converted. We've repented of our sins, we've believed in Jesus, we've embraced him. If, if that's you this morning, then marvel at God's mercy. Marvel at God's grace that has saved a people like us. Marvel at God's uh, kindness that has brought people like us to his son Jesus. Marvel at his grace that sent his son Jesus to die for unfaithful people like me and you. Maybe you're a a believer this morning and, and, and everything's great. But maybe you've never wept over your sin. 
Maybe you've never seen yourself the way that Peter sees himself in this passage. Maybe you've never seen yourself as somebody that is a rebel against God. Maybe you've never seen yourself as somebody that is so full of sinfulness. If, if that's the situation you're in this morning, then pray that God would, would reveal to you the truthfulness of, of your sin. Pray that God would, would, would soften your heart toward your sin. Pray that God would, 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 would prick you to the point that, that, that you weep over your sins. Maybe you're a believer, but you've fallen into, in, into sin for some time now, and, and you've embraced it, and, and, and you're kind of struggling to resist it in, in some ways. Maybe you've embraced a particular temptation, and, and you can't see a way to be free from it. Then, then realize two things this morning. First of all, you can't free yourself from it. You cannot free yourself from it. The second thing, God is willing and God is able to receive you, forgive you, and restore you just like he did Peter. God's willing to do that. God's able to do that. He can free you from this sin. He can free you from this temptation. Repent of your sin and turn back to the Lord. Maybe you're someone here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus and you've never believed in him and you've maybe never seen a reason to. I pray that the Lord opens your heart this morning. And, and, and I would encourage you to pray and ask God to show you your need for salvation. And I would encourage you to, to trust in him, believe in him, fall on him. He will receive you. Maybe you've been attending our church for a while and, and you're understanding what it means to follow Jesus and, 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 and maybe like Peter, you're, you're ready to proclaim to the world that, that Jesus is the is the Savior and, and, and that you're going to follow him from now on and, and your life's going to be different, then I'd love for you to come forward and make that, make that commitment known, make that commitment public before, before our church. And then finally, maybe you've been attending here for a while and you're a believer and you have been a believer for a while and, and, and you're ready to make this your, your church home. You're ready to make this your, your, your body, your family. You want Josh Green and, and Jake and I to be your pastors. You want us to be your family, you want to become a part of our family, if so, then I would encourage you to, to come forward and make that decision public as well. As we get ready to sing, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much this morning that you are, are good to us. Father, we thank you that you don't write us off whenever we fall into, into sin, Father. We're thankful that you don't write us off whenever we fall to temptation. And God, I thank you that you have, have provided examples of the way that you've dealt with people in the past to be an encouragement to us. God, I thank you for, for this passage about Peter. And God, I pray that it would be an encouragement to, to us here at First Baptist Fairdale. God, I pray that we would see in this passage our own sinfulness and our own weakness and our own um, propensity to, to fall into temptation. But God, I pray even more clearly than that, we would see in this passage your goodness and your kindness and your faithfulness and your grace that takes people who deny you and restore us to your children. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, our Savior, our hope. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.